Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to be behind the microphone tonight and every night. Blessed beyond measure. Hope you realize you are as well. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can find me there. My telephone number, should you wish to join the program, 615-737-1045-737-1045. Ryan Mudd behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for us tonight. Although right now... With headphones on, my good buddy Brandon Hagney, co-host on Squared Circle Radio, is in the house this evening, and he's got cans on behind the glass. There's all sorts of things I just looked up and saw happening. Happening this weekend, four big football games. Tomorrow, 3.35 Central Time on NBC, Colts at Chiefs. Top seed versus the sixth seed. I'm going to break all these four games down for you over the next couple of segments, and we'll talk a little bit of college ball on our way out the door. Maybe a little pop culture as well. Maybe even some news about the future of pop culture and me to come tonight as well. But I'm going to lay out a bunch of stats for you. Stats can mean a whole lot of things. I am going to base all of this basically on, I want to give you things to think about, not as you're making predictions on these games, but in the lead up to them, in the anticipation of the kickoffs, and maybe things that you can watch for during the games to see if they play out the way that they have to this point. ESPN gives Kansas City, via their football power index, a 74% chance to beat the Colts at home in the first game tomorrow afternoon. Robert Frost once wrote, there is indeed a road less traveled by. Sometimes that road can make all the difference. That's paraphrased. I didn't get every word right. But I felt the same way since before the wildcard games were played, and I'm taking that other road. I'm leaning towards Indy versus New Orleans in the Super Bowl right now, and as prolific as that Chiefs offense is, Colts are the hottest team in the league. From 1-5 to 10-6, a total dismantling of the Houston Texans on the road last week. But let me give you the roadmap first for a Kansas City victory. Past the obvious. Look, this is going to be Pat Mahomes' first NFL postseason start. All the playoff rooks that played on Wild Card Weekend, that's Trubisky, that's Lamar Jackson, that's Deshaun Watson, they struggled. And they got ousted by guys that have won in January before and have felt this moment before. And after saying that, I don't believe Pat Mahomes is going to be bad tomorrow. Because why would I? Dude's on another planet as a passer from any of the guys that I just mentioned. 50 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, over 5,000 yards passing. And then there's this. The Colts play almost exclusively zone. They play a cover two scheme. Guess who the best quarterback in the league is statistically at handling zone coverage? You guessed it. 
Pat Mahomes. But that stat almost underestimates Mahomes because he's basically the best against any type of coverage. So it would stand to reason the zone scheme would also favor him more than it would favor anybody else. But he's a wizard with the Duke in his hand. He's going to make plays because, of course, he is. He's Pat Mahomes. He might be without Spencer Ware. He might be without Sammy Watkins, but he's got Travis Kelsey. He's got his number one receiver in Tyreek Hill, and he's got Andrew F. Reed, the lone guy from the 2013 coach hiring cycle to still be with his squad. Andy Reed is an offensive mastermind that has only gotten more dangerous with the inclusion of Eric Bieniemy helping him out on the sidelines. Some believe Bieniemy should have gotten one of these head coaching gigs. Speaking of Andy's, let's talk about another one. Andy Luck, 39 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 4,593 yards. Barely ever gets touched. Hasn't been sacked 20 times all season. Last week, the Colts O-line did a great job against the Texans, as they have all year. Q, Quentin Nelson, fifth pick in the draft, pancaking clowny. J.J. Watt handled pretty effectively as well. Do you really think Justin Houston, as good as he is, and this Chiefs pass rush is going to be any more threatening against Luck in the pocket? And if they do come his way, he can escape and he can still make plays. We saw him make some fantastic plays when he did have to run a little bit last week against Houston. Between Luck and Mahomes, you have two of the more elusive and accurate. And I want you to view that as a package, elusive and accurate. Both elusive and deadly accurate after escape quarterbacks in the NFL. Mahomes is the more dynamic of the two, but Andrew Luck is a generational talent to say the least. With all the talk, about Le'Veon Bell and how he'd like to be a Colt. Past Andrew Luck, all Marlon Mack has done is run for over 900 yards and nine touchdowns, keep his mouth shut, and get first downs. Dude's really good. T.Y. Hilton's really good. Eric Ebron finally looks like we thought he might look when he was getting drafted out of Chapel Hill by the Lions. Defense hasn't changed much from what it was five years ago. Zone and cover, too. Like I said, the covers and the corners are a little suspect at times. But Darius Leonard has altered the ferocity of the linebacking core. Up front, they're nasty. These boys are stout. The best way to handle Pat Mahomes is not to allow him to go through all his reads. If you let him sit back there and pick you apart, that is what he's going to do. It is totally common sense, but the Colts need to throw pressure at Mahomes. They need to make him release the football a second before he wants to, make him force him into making quicker decisions than he might like. Keep him off balance. He's going to make plays. He is unbelievably good. But if you come at him and you throw pressure at him, that's the best way to beat him. Crazy stat for you about the Colts. Early in the year, the Colts were blitzing under 20% of the time. One of the lowest rates in the NFL. Somewhere between 12 and 18% of the time, depending on the game. That number is now over 40%. And of those blitzes, 44% are creating legit pressure on the opposing quarterback. Demonstrable, disruptive pressure. As the defense has become more aggressive, it's also become more effective. Both of these teams are really good. I think this has the potential to be a classic football game. It's going to be a wonderful atmosphere at Arrowhead because Arrowhead's always a great atmosphere. But I trust the Colts on both sides of the football. Chiefs offense is as special as special can get, but that defense is such a problem. And if this turns into a shootout, who are you going to trust to break serve 
once down the stretch in this game and stop an offense. I believe if anybody can, Indy is the team that can. I don't think Kansas City can. Their secondary is not good. Their run defense is not good. They're going to lose. It's not going to be because of Andy Reid's clock management. I mean, that's the narrative, and maybe he will make a a blunder there. He has in the past. We know this. But they're going to lose because the Chiefs, even if they score 40, are going to give up 45. The Colts are going to win this thing by a field goal, I think, in a great game. When you think about the MVP debate, let's talk about this for a second. It comes down to Mahomes and Breeze. Pat Mahomes, 50 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, like I said, over 5,000 yards. The argument for Breeze is the losses that the Chiefs have sustained against good teams. But how can you ding Patrick Mahomes when his offense has scored 28 points at least in every single loss this year? How many teams in NFL history can claim multiple losses in one season where they've put up 40 points? Chiefs lost to New England. They put up 40. They put up 51 against the Rams and lost by a field goal. So when you say Patrick Mahomes has lost against good competition, no, that defense has lost because that defense is an atrocity. You can't ask Pat Mahomes to put up 70 every week. If he puts up 51 points, you better win that football game. He puts up 40 points against the Patriots, you better win that football game. And they lost both those games. And their other two losses, they scored at least 28 points in those games. And there's an argument for Drew Brees as well. And when we get to the Saints and Eagles prediction, which will be the final one, I'm going in order of how these games are going to be played. Then I will tell you why Drew Brees has a really good MVP argument, a better one than maybe I thought originally as I've started to look at how that Saints team has progressed throughout the year. But if you look at the quarterbacks, Andrew Luck and Mahomes, I want either one of those guys. I guess I'll take Pat Mahomes but it's hard to say anything negative whatsoever about Andrew Luck. When you look at the running game, Kareem Hunt was in this game. It'd be different. I'll go with the Colts. Marlon Mack's been really good. Wide receivers, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are amazing. Not just on a fantasy team, but on an NFL team. Even if they don't have Watkins out there, you still like T.Y. Hilton. Ebron has been very good, certainly this year. Jack Doyle is a, is a pretty good tight end as well. Inman was a nice midseason pickup, but from a weaponry standpoint in the passing game, you're going to go with the Chiefs. Offensive line, they're both good. Mitch Schwartz is the best at his position in the league. They both can protect their guys. The offensive line for the Colts is maybe a little bit better because Nelson has made them so much more aggressive and passionate in the way they play on that side of the ball. So you're again, you can make an argument for either team in most of the positions when you look at the offense. But then when you get to the defense, it's not close. The Colts can stop people. The Chiefs can't. I don't need to go into too much more detail than that. You've even got a banged up secondary for the Chiefs on top of everything else. Guys that are questionable. Eric Berry, questionable. Other guys, questionable. And they've been questionable in terms of how they've played in addition to just the classification on the injury report. They can't stop anybody. They can rush the passer. We've seen Smith get there. We've seen Houston get there. But are they going to be able to manhandle this offensive line after we watched a really good pass rush from Houston fail to do very much to challenge Andrew Luck a week ago? I have my doubts. 
So if you're taking the offense and the defense of both these two teams, where's the weak link? It's Kansas City's defense. It's not just a weak link. It's almost a non-existent link. It's like a missing piece of a bridge. You can sustain a weak link at times, but this is like the chain is completely broken. Like if there's a chain and the football team getting to the Super Bowl, offense is really good, and then all of a sudden there's just no metal anymore and the cars just careen off into the water. That's how bad Kansas City's defense is. Weighted DVOA, DVOA worse than the league. Can't stop the run, can't stop the pass. Again, they gave up 54 to the Rams when their team scored 51 and lost. Gave up 43 to New England, scored 40 and lost. They're just not very good on that side of the ball. Could they win? Yes. I'll take Indianapolis by a field goal. We'll break down the other three games next. If you have thoughts, 615-737-1045 or tweet me at jmartzone. Back in a moment. This is the Big Six on a Friday here on 104.5 The Zone. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can reach us, 615-737-1045. We'll drive by Trucker's Era. Jason Isbell here, the outfit. We're looking for this tune. So I picked the Colts over the Chiefs, and I'm not doing this based on the spreads. You can get that anywhere else. I don't really care about it. I've said this before. I care about who wins the game because that's going to determine who continues to play, and that's what I'm going to be talking about next week is who's still playing. So I'm going to give you predictions based on who's going to win the game. Maybe that will change someday. I doubt it. So let's talk about the second game. That's the late game tomorrow night, 7-15 kick on Fox. Dallas at the Rams. This is the one I'm most up in the air about. That sounds crazy, considering the fact that multiple head coaching hires this week basically hinged on the new guy's proximity in the past in some form or fashion to Rams coach Sean McVay. To my surprise, Dak Prescott's playing the best football of his season at the right time. He is proving to be more clutch than he is consistent. But he has this kind of unquantifiable winner air about him where he was overthrowing Michael Gallup week after week after week during the middle of the season. There were tweets all over the place from experts talking about Michael Gallup probably despises him because he's crushing his numbers. Now he's hitting Michael Gallup. That's changed this Dallas offense just enough. Now Gallup could still be used more, and he's often the guy that his numbers and his targets don't turn out to be good from a percentage standpoint because he's the nearest receiver to a throwaway. But what used to be these bad overthrows by Prescott are now going the opposite direction. He's making plays. He only caught two passes against the Seahawks, but one of those was for a touchdown. Nine of ten games earlier in the season, Gallup did not find the end zone. He's reached the end zone in two of his last three. But Zeke is the key to the game for both these two teams. Rams are not a good run defense. The way they line up, it puts them in a spot where selling out to try and rush the quarterback leaves them woefully thin against any decent back. The Rams are 28th in DVOA at Football Outsiders in defensive efficiency against the run. They're they're ninth against the pass. I bet you didn't think that. But running backs just tear them up on the ground. And what is the best way to beat one of these high-powered offenses? The best defense is to keep the offense on the sidelines. This is a game where time of possession is just, it couldn't be more important for Dallas. If the Cowboys can sit there and chew up a third of a quarter on a drive, they're going 10 to 12 plays, Zeke's averaging five yards a carry, which, by the way, is what the Rams average giving up to opposing running backs this season. You can beat them. And then Todd Gurley's health. He's been used 
more sparingly down the stretch of the season because the division was wrapped up and he's the most important player on the Rams offense and he was banged up a little. First eight games of the year, Gurley had 15 or more carries in all of them. 20 or more three times, 19 a fourth. In the last month and a half, that's six games, he had 23 carries once, 16 once, and other than that, it's 12, 11, 12, 13. Also, maybe something to keep an eye on tomorrow in a sign of things to come. In the, re- in the receiving game, in the finale, he was targeted 13 times. That's six more than in uh, any other game he played in 2018. Only double-figure game. And he caught 10 of the 13 for 76 yards. Using him out of the backfield, if you read Warren Sharp's analytics, using him out of the backfield on early downs as a receiver is one of the things that really opened up Sean McVay, who exclusively uses 11 personnel. And when I mean exclusively, I mean exclusively uses 11 personnel. But that's the way to negate the Cowboys' pass rush as well, is to get Gurley involved out of the backfield as opposed to just handing them the ball in the backfield. Before the season, I picked the Cowboys to make the NFC title game against, uh, well, against the Falcons, but we'll forget about that. Zeke is going to break 100. Might break 150. Rams are going to score their points. We know that. But they're going to play in a home stadium that even with the recent explosion in their fan base because they're winning, it's still going to be a road atmosphere. I bet you 70% of that place is going to be Dallas fans. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere. It's going to be loud. Jared Goff has not been great since Cooper Cup went out. Defense is made up of glitzy names that don't gel and don't play off one another. Two corners and DBs and Peters and Tlaib, they're sellout DBs. That doesn't mean they're sellouts culturally. It means that they're constantly going for the takeaway, which means that they're boom or bust. They're going to take their share the other way for you, but they're also susceptible to big plays. Remember what Drew Brees did to Peters in New Orleans? And another potential difference maker is turnovers from the quarterbacks, but from Dak in particular. Goff was on fire early But in his last five games, six interceptions. Now he had four of those against the Bears on Sunday Night Football. But he's failed to reach 60% in completion percentage in three of those five games. After starting the year with four of five where he was above 70% and six of eight, he was above 70% completion. Average per pass is down, but he's still at 8.4, so that's not bad. He can't give the football away, but that's going to be true for any quarterback all weekend long. But then there's Dak. It's not the interceptions. He's only got eight. 22 passing touchdowns and six rushing touchdowns. Where he struggles most, meaning Prescott, is fumbling or having it knocked away from him during a drop back or during his throwing motion. Dak Prescott has fumbled 12 times this season. He has recovered zero. All of my picks are going to be on gut feel and instinct. And I'm going to mix that with the eye test. Like I said, I'm dropping stats here for context on your end so you have some tidbits to look at as you await these kickoffs. But stats don't win games, and they can be read in different ways. Eye test. Cowboys, that defense is nasty. I saw what they did to the Saints. Rams defense struggles against the run, and that's the Cowboys' strength. Zeke's going to do his thing, and Linehan has finally figured out that Dak Prescott is a serious weapon in the red zone with the ball in his hands as a ball carrier as opposed to a ball thrower. That should open up the pass. If this game is played in the 30s, I believe the Rams win it. But I think the Cowboys are going to slow it down. They're going to win a ball control kind of game, and they're going to advance 27-21, to and McVay is still not going to have won a playoff game. Chargers at New England. Noon kick on CBS Sunday. 
fascinating because of the teams involved. Do a do just a quick brain jam here and consider what you'd think of these two teams if the labels were removed and you just had a pure list of the talent for each and the stat numbers of this season. If you took Patriots and you took Chargers away and you were looking blind, it's almost without a doubt you'd pick Los Angeles to win the game. But once you put those nicknames back up there, that's when the trick comes in because everybody then's going to have to hesitate for more than just a second. Tom Brady has lost exactly two home games in the past 12-plus years against the AFC. That's regular season or postseason. If you remember that 2017 opener where they lost to the Chiefs, that ended an absurdly long streak. This team just doesn't lose at home at Gillette with Brady and Belichick. The Chargers have habitually disappointed in the playoffs, home or away. And that fact really continues to be the real blemish on the record of Rivers. If he could just get to a Super Bowl, if he could get that one tick on his resume, he's probably in Canton. He might get there anyway, but I remember a few months ago I was filling in on the Midday 180, and I'm debating with Paul Kaharski, Eli versus Rivers, as it related to the Hall of Fame. And while he and I both agreed that Rivers is the better player, Eli has the two rings, but Paul's argument was he'd be fine if neither got in, and his reasoning made me stop and think. Have... At any time, either Eli Manning or Phillip Rivers been a top five quarterback in the NFL for any given season. You can certainly stop and say maybe not. Brady, on the other hand, may be the best quarterback ever. But he's 41. This has not been a great year. His weapons are limited. He's been less than accurate for himself. He's been less decisive. He doesn't appear to be fully healthy. When you talk about guys that can stretch the field for the New England Patriots, they don't have any of those guys. Gronk is old, hasn't been as dominant. Running game, Sony Michelle looks to be pretty good, but this is his playoff debut. It's just not a loaded roster. Defensively average, 16th in DVOA. A little better against the pass than against the run. But I stopped and thought about that and said, okay, six of the games the Patriots have played against the pass, two against Josh Allen, Tannehill, Osweiler, Darnold, McCown. That's to be expected. The Titans tore them apart here in Nashville. Then you think about the other team. Chargers, three studs at wideout. Gates is crafty, still finds a way to get open, even though he runs about as fast as I do. Melvin Gordon is one of the most versatile players and dangerous guys in the league. His health is a continuing concern. Other side of the ball, Melvin Ingram is incredible. Joey Bosa is ferocious rushing the passer and being disruptive. And the secondary is loaded. Derwin James can do anything you ask him to do already as a rookie. The way to beat the Patriots, the blueprint's always been the same. Get in Tom Brady's face and make him uncomfortable. That's what the Titans defense was able to do here. That's how you beat New England. That is what I expect Gus Bradley to do on Sunday. That's what he's going to dial up. He's going to knock 12 off his platform. He's going to bully the Pats up front. And if they succeed in doing that, I like their chances. In fact, I'm not even going to look at the nicknames to make this pick. This is Phillip Rivers' best team. Provided health doesn't get the better of them, they should win this football game. I don't care where it is. I know it's insane to pick against Brady and Belichick in the playoffs. It's the dumbest single thing you can do in all sports, and I'm doing it. And I did it last year, too. I picked Philly to win the Super Bowl, and I'm picking Anthony Lynn to send Bill Belichick to an early offseason. Incidentally, quickly before we get to break, Chargers 10th against both the rush and the pass. And in weighted defense, 7th ranked D in the league. I just don't think the Pats can make enough plays. They don't have the horses. 
It's a challenge because of where it is and the quarterback and the coach. But this is the Chargers game to lose. And against all evidence and the history that we've seen in the AFC, I don't think they're going to find a way to botch it. So I'll go with the Chargers. Both AFC road teams win. And I've got the Cowboys winning on the road as well. Will New Orleans hold serve at home? We'll get to that pick. Plus, Kyler Murray next. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. It's a Friday here in the Music City. You might be on your way home. Glad to have you with us. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045. You can read my stuff. 1045thezone.com slash big six blog. Put up a pretty lengthy, one of the lengthiest reviews slash deep dives I've done in a while. Almost 3,000 words on a movie from 2000. Unbreakable, which was the first of the East Rail trilogy by M. Night Shyamalan. I'll be reviewing Split and doing the same thing with it early next week. Reason why, of course, is because Glass releases on Friday, the third part of the trilogy. I'll be screening that at a point next week and writing on that. So that's a reason to bookmark 1045thezone.com slash big6blog to get all my pop culture thoughts. So I gave you three of the picks. All three of them road wins. Chargers over the Pats. Cowboys over the Rams. And Colts over the number one seeded Chiefs. Now we get to Eagles at Saints. The late game on Fox 345-ish kick on Sunday. And this is the one I'm the most sure of. Even with playoff foals under center for the defending champions. Could the Eagles win? Sure they could. Anybody could win any game, any day with the right set of circumstances. Bounces and calls going their way, yada, yada, yada. But once the road to Atlanta was officially going through the Superdome, the NFC's rep to the Super Bowl seemed a foregone conclusion, at least to me. Saints are headed to Mercedes-Benz. I don't see anybody beating them in their own building. Along with Seattle... New Orleans is the one place you don't want to find yourself on the road in a one-and-done situation. It's just a different experience. The MVP debate, I gave you the Pat Mahomes argument earlier. I've said it's Mahomes for me because the games he's lost haven't been because of him. He's put up 28 in every one of those losses. It's a defense that goes full-on matador, matching the red that the Chiefs are wearing, and they can give up half a hundo on any given week. But I recoil at the idea that Drew Brees would win the MVP as if it were some kind of legacy award for what he's done in the league throughout his career and not because he had a great season. He's been brilliant throughout much of it. Now, if you want to ding him for something, and I do ding him for this, four of his last five games of the season, he never went over 203 passing yards. Two of them, he didn't even hit 175 yards. But 32 touchdowns, five interceptions, four of them came during that same late-season stretch. He's not playing his best football right now, although he looked really good in the finale. But the misnomer about the Saints is that they're this offensive juggernaut in personnel. That is simply not true. Drew Brees has Michael Thomas, and that is a huge deal. He's got Alvin Kamara. That is an enormous deal. And he gets a good bit from Mark Ingram. And who else? The reason Breeze has been as special as he's been this year is that he's made dudes you've never heard of into legitimate threats. Throwing touchdowns literally to guys whose names sound like your next-door neighbor rather than an NFL superstar at wide out or tight end. As good as Nick Foles has been in crunch time, the Eagles don't have the run game they had a year ago, 
and they have nowhere near the defense they had a year ago. They were fifth in DVOA last year. They're 18th, and it was much worse than 18 until the last handful of games. Young guys are playing better. A few guys have gotten healthy during that point, but they're just undermanned to deal with maybe the most accurate quarterback in the history of the NFL. In that building, 22 of 30 for 363, four touchdowns, no interceptions against the Eagles in midseason. The Saints beat Philadelphia 48-7, to one of the biggest blowouts of the NFL schedule to be found anywhere. This game's probably a couple scores closer than that one, but that's as far as I can take it. Eye test. Saints win it. Stats, Saints win it. Quarterback, Saints. Running game, Saints. Line play, Saints, even though Philly does have an elite offensive line. And we've also seen this Sean Payton locker room story where he walks in earlier this week in practice holding the Lombardi trophy from the win over the Colts and the $225,000 in cash that's a bonus for everyone and every player that wins a Super Bowl. And he says to them simply, you want this? Win three bleeping games. The Saints look like a buzzsaw. Probably the most balanced team in the conference. And they don't leave their home stadium until the Super Bowl. They've basically been the best team in the league since week three. If Nick Foles wins this game, I don't even know what to say anymore. It would indicate that we can't ever pick against him again. It would be stunning to me if the Eagles were able to take a 48-7 to throttling at midseason and turn that into some kind of an upset against New Orleans in January. The Eagles should get boat raced in this game. If Foles, by the way, wins another Super Bowl this year, uh, should we already go ahead and fit him for a Hall of Fame bust? Like He could retire afterwards and still have two Super Bowls, and you can make the same argument you've made for Eli Manning. But he's not gonna, it's not going to happen. If it hadn't been for Cody Parkey, it wouldn't have happened last week. We wouldn't be talking about Foles versus Wentz at all. We would be talking about whether or not the Bears' defense can shut down the Saints' offense. Eagles' defense is not going to shut down the Saints' offense. So what I think happens is the Saints win it relatively easy again. Maybe the Eagles score late to get it closer. It's not going to be 48-7 to again, but it is going to be 41-20. to And the Foles' magic will come to an end, at least for now. The magic will then... Look, there will be a Vingardium Leviosa to come in the offseason when somebody overpays that dude to go win seven games for him without Doug Peterson and without that offensive line. Nick Foles, you certainly root for him. A very rootable guy. A good dude in a league full of good dudes in a lot of respects. I talked about a bad dude last night or seemingly a bad dude in Antonio Brown. Nick Foles is the opposite. But Nick Foles is running up against the Saints in the Superdome in 2019 with Drew Brees on an MVP pace, and you're asking that secondary to stop Michael Thomas and somehow contain Alvin Kamara. I like my chances a lot better if I'm a Saints fan. So three road teams are going to win, and New Orleans is going to win. And I wavered on Rams and, and Cowboys, but I'm sticking with Dallas. I just feel like the Rams' defense is not going to be able to stop Zeke and Dak, and that's going to be the difference. So we're going to see a rematch of that Cowboys-Saints game that the Cowboys won over the Saints earlier this year. And then we are going to see Colts and Chargers, and I'll have to look at that one. Right now, I've got Indy versus New Orleans in the Super Bowl, but maybe that will change before we have to make those picks next week. Coming up in our final segment of the week, maybe a little bit on Jalen Hurts, but the main story, Kyler Murray. He's going to pick football. 
over the $4 million signing bonus from the A's to play baseball. Knee-jerk reaction is one thing, but we separate fact from fiction, and we'll do it next. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the big six here on this Friday and for this week. The National taking us home. System dreams in total darkness. Hopefully it won't be total darkness for you guys watching football this weekend. Hopefully we'll get some good games. I know those games were close last week. I didn't enjoy watching a lot of that football. I don't know that. I don't know. I want to see some points. We're seeing some actual offenses this weekend. No one scored more than 24 points in all four wild card weekend games. I got three road teams winning, and then I got the Saints winning because I don't think the Saints are going to lose unless they lose at Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta in the first Sunday in February. We'll continue to talk about football. And, of course, we'll talk about the results of these games on The Zone across all of the shows next week. Kyler Murray. The Oakland A's seem to have accepted that Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray, they handed a $4 million signing bonus to him prior to the college football season. They've accepted he wants to play football. He's got to go with his first love or or at least what has become his first love and his passion. Now, the knee-jerk reaction is, is he insane? He could play so much longer in the big leagues in baseball because he's not going to get beaten up. He's not going to get hit all day long. It's a less physical game. The longevity will be there. Baseball is simply safer. It's easy money. Go get that $4 bucks, Holmes. Have you lost your mind? But I want you to consider something. $4 million, yes, but then what? He's going to end up playing. Let's say he gets to double A really fast. So he's hanging out in Midland, Texas, playing for the Rockhounds. Then he gets to triple A's in Vegas playing for the Aviators. Nothing is assured that he makes the bigs, although he appears to have the skill. He's a center fielder with speed and plenty of talent. But he's toiling away in the minors, making very little money, and being the very opposite of a celebrity. How appealing is that? We all watched Brock Meyer. That's not a great life. Now let's compare him to Lamar Jackson, the last pick in the first round last year who also won a Heisman. Dynamic athlete, just like Kyler Murray. Nowhere near the passer Kyler is. Murray has around a 70% completion percentage in a pass-heavy, wide-open offense for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Lamar Jackson was, in some people's eyes, going to be a wide receiver. It's still sort of undetermined as to whether or not he can throw the football long-term well. But he's the last pick in the first round. He got between $7.5 and $8 million guaranteed. And 9.4 overall. That guaranteed money that he got to be the last pick in the first round is nearly double the signing bonus the A's just offered Kyler Murray. And rather than be in some minor league organization, if Kyler Murray has the chops to hang in the NFL, he becomes a superstar in short order that we all know. His height does hurt him. Some claim he's 5'11". I think he's more like 5'9", maybe 5'10", and that is short. It's not out of the question, though, that that's not going to stop him. We've seen a few of those guys succeed. One of them is playing at home against the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon on Fox. He is small. He's not built. So the physical punishment in the NFL, yes, it's a concern, no doubt. But consider Marcus Mariota is a really tall, strong guy, and he can't stay on the field. I'm only using him as an example to juxtapose here with Kyler, not picking on him. Doesn't matter how big you are. Cam Newton couldn't finish this season. And he's basically a rocket ship. When he's out there, he's like a bulldozer and he can't stay in the field. It's the NFL. Questions are this. Can he throw? Can he lead? Can he elude pressure? 
How good are his decisions? Can he be the face of your franchise? And honestly, I'd be more willing to bet on Kyler Murray than to bet against Kyler Murray. He also strikes me as a guy that if he's good, he might be really, really good. To get him means you probably got to go get an early round pick. Baker Mayfield at this point in 2018, there was not a soul in the world that thought he was going to go number one in the draft. Guess what? He did. Cleveland, Freddie Kitchens, all of that. Who knows how it goes? But I totally understand this risk, and I also get why he'd want to play football. I originally was on the baseball is safer train. You can make more money train, but I'm not there anymore. You do what you want to do, and football, it's enticing, and there is still a lot of money and a lot of celebrity that you can make in short order. And now I bring in my good friend and and co-host on Squared Circle Radio. You know him. You love him from his days on the Wake Up Zone and everywhere else on this station for half a decade, Brandon Hagany, who shows up to hang out, and I put him to work. Love is a is a stretch, I would imagine. Uh, but yeah, this this Kyler Murray thing, I cannot uh, agree with you more. Baseball is absolutely safer, and the long term health consequences of playing football versus baseball very clearly in the camp of baseball. But just coming from it from the argument of he can make more money in baseball, I do not believe that to be the case. Yes, he'll play longer, so he has an opportunity to make more money in baseball. But consider this. You talked about going into double A AA and triple A. It's not like Kyler Murray, if he were to choose baseball today, is going to be in the opening day lineup for the Oakland Athletics. He's absolutely not going to be. Like you just don't do that. So he's probably going to be in the minors for at least two seasons, if I had to guess. That's at if he's least. lucky. That's a pretty conservative estimate. So you're looking at maybe reaching Major League Baseball by 23, 24 years old. I believe he's 21 right now. His birthday's in August. You are under team control for six full seasons Mm. in Major League Baseball before you ever reach free agency. Now, back a couple of years of that is arbitration. You make a decent amount of money when it comes to arbitration. So if he's a really good player, he'll make a decent amount of money at the back end of that six years. There's also the rule that most Major League Baseball teams are taking advantage of right now. The Braves did it with Acuna. Uh, The Cubs did it with Chris Bryant. The whole, we're not going to call this kid up until a month into the season because we don't want to start that clock. If Kyler Murray is the prospect that we imagine him to be, I would think, I would assume that the A's would do that with him. So he's not reaching free agency until 30 at that point. 30. And yes, if he's really good, he's going to get a great contract. But look at Kyler Murray. You just ran down the the stats of his height and his weight and all of that. Does he strike you as the type of guy that's going to hit 40 home runs and, and drive in 120 runs? No. no. Right. Those are the guys that get paid right. in Major League Baseball. You have to be an ace pitcher, power hitter, that kind of guy. Those are the people. Mike Trout's getting $35 million because Mike Trout's blasting 40 home runs a season. Kyler Murray's not going to do that. Kyler Murray is going to probably be a pretty valuable 15 to 18 million dollars. That's that's what like Adam Jones, center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Right. That's what he made this past season was probably, 18 million dollars. Probably good on defense, gets on base a decent amount. A valuable contributor but not a like top level Alex Rodriguez, Texas right. Rangers. And those are the play. guys that are getting the 250 to $300 million contracts in baseball free agency. And Kyler Murray could prove me wrong, but I don't see him being that type of baseball player. 
So if we're looking at like Adam Jones as a comp, Adam Jones has made $97 million across 14 seasons in Major League Baseball. His highest paid season was this past year with the Orioles at $18 million. $18 million is chump change for a quarterback in the NFL. That's what Blake Bortles makes. Blake well, Bortles makes $18 million. He's worth it. Is he? Case Keenum's making 18 a season. In exactly. Denver, two years, 36, and that was called a bargain. So if you were Kyler Murray and you're looking at the quarterback contracts right now, I'm saying to myself, I'm, I can be better than Case Keenum. I can be better than Blake Bortles. Derek Carr makes $25 million right. a year. I was looking at these stats with Ryan Mudd uh, in a break a couple of segments ago. Matt Schaub has made $90 million in his career in the NFL. Matt Schaub who has not started in, what, five or six years since he threw a million pick sixes yeah. with the Ravens yeah. like five or six years ago? He was ago. Nathan Peterman before Nathan Peterman. I didn't even honestly did not realize he was still on a roster, but apparently he's Matt Ryan's backup. That man still? Has, maybe. <laughs> that man has made $90 million in his career. There are only two active center fielders in Major League Baseball, which is what Kyler Murray plays in baseball. There are only two active center fielders who have made more than $90 million in their career. Adam Jones, who we just mentioned, and Jacoby Ellsbury. The money's in football for Kyler Murray. And if he wants to play football, then on top of that, that also plays into it. So that, I mean, those stats are better than anything I came up with. Perhaps I should cede the microphone more often to Mr. Hagney. But yeah, like you can make the argument that baseball is safer, but you can't necessarily make the argument he's going to make more money there. If he is good at all in football, dude is going to get paid in short order. Ryan Tannehill has made $67 million in his career. Seven years, $67 million. That is what Ryan Tannehill has made. And Ryan Tannehill is the very definition. I'm mediocre. Pretty sure if you looked up right now, find that dictionary over there in the corner. Look up mediocre. It's going to be a picture of Ryan Tannehill. Middling, potentially injured, can't depend on him. $70 $70 million. $67 million. And he's only 30. He's only 30. So we're talking about Ryan Tannehill at 30 has already made $67 million, and we're talking about Kyler Murray not even reaching free agency in baseball until he's 30. Plus, selfishly, I just want to see Kyler Murray play more football. There's also that. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. Since the 2012 season, I don't know if you've actually thought about this before, but since the 2012 year, it was actually 2013 playoffs, but the 2012 regular season, no team in the NFL has reached the Super Bowl that had to play on the road. That means winner or loser, just reaching the Super Bowl. If you played on the road in the last six years, you have not made it. Wild card teams historically, and you can look at the teams that are still playing that won on Wild Card Saturday last week, 128 since 2002 when the league expanded to four wildcard teams. Only six of those 128 have reached the Super Bowl. None since the Ravens did it in 2012 when they ended up beating Colin Kaepernick. Fox Sports Radio next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night. See you Monday.